around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shields up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. Klingons. Welcome to The Greatest Discovery, a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. We're covering Star Trek Discovery. We're covering Star Trek Picard. We're covering Lower Decks. We're covering comic books. I'm Ben Harrison. Covering it all like one of those weighted blankets. That's what our show is. I'm Adam Pranica. <laughs> like, uh, like they put on you in an x-ray? No, like... Uh... Like my wife uses to sleep. What is it? It's a heavy blanket. I don't know what they fill it with, but it's heavy stuff. Is she getting gains in her sleep? Tell you what, she prefers the touch of the heavy blanket to my own touch. (laughs) That's all I really know. Oh. Uh, Maybe I should uh, put my wife on it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. This is is a technology I need to hip you to, Ben, because as soon as... Look, I'm I'm not passing any judgment... At all for people that uh, invite people outside of the marriage into their marital bed. But I'll mm-hmm. tell you this. As soon as uh, an invitation was extended to weighted blanket, and once once weighted blanket came onto the scene, yeah, uh, nighttime snugs uh, went away almost entirely. Oh, wow. Are you a blanket cuck? Yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking across the bed at this blanket all over my <laughs> wife, and I'm like, that used to be me. <laughs> Uh, that sounds great. I mean, my wife is basically done with me at this point as well. So, uh, this could be, this could be a a nice snooze button on our divorce. Yeah. A a blanket can really kick that out a few months, I think. (laughs) Give her something to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) cool. Make make that the day one Hanukkah gift you give her. That'll, that'll allow her to coast through the rest of the holiday. Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. I didn't expect a, a throwaway line about a blanket to, to do such emotional damage, but here we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, this is, uh, this. I was in a bit of a panic last night uh, because I uh, got home from dinner expecting to read the last two books in the Star Trek Discovery Aftermath mm-hmm. series, only to discover that book four is not out yet. I don't know what led me to believe that it would be out by now, but I was positive that it was going to be. Oh, I I believe I led you to believe that. But uh, book four does have a release date, but book three seems to be the end of the series. Yeah, I I don't get it. It's very confusing. What's going on, IDW? I'll tell you what's going on on today's episode. It's it's we're ending one story and beginning another, because in the absence of a fourth aftermath book we're going to bring you the first of the star trek picard comics that is true uh when when one star trek door closes another one opens yeah which wasn't always the case but we are learning that is uh is going to be the way it is going forward because they keep producing new star trek stuff yeah before jj abram found his star trek crowbar those doors were sealed (laughs) big time right yeah what do you think a Star Trek crowbar looks like? Does it, does it actually physically interact with something, or is it kind of like Geordi's uh, beard trimmer, where it, it just shines a blue light on the on the crate and then it pops open? All I know is that the Klingon crowbar has got two ends. <laughs> There's totally a a book four listed hmm. in places. Well, it's none of our concern today, Ben. What do yeah. you say we? What do you say we sit on the floor next to the uh, next to the spinny rack and open up some comics? Let's do it, Adam. So we're starting with Star Trek Discovery Aftermath Issue 3, and where we left our story is uh, Laurel on the ground, imprisoned by the uh, by people who call themselves the Shadows of Kalis. Yes. The Shadows of Kalis. <laughs> The guys that uh, that broke into the uh, the diplomatic conference and uh, you know forced Spock to defenestrate himself with Captain Pike. These are some bad dudes that are here to stop the peace talks and uh, and seize control of the Empire back from Laurel. 
If you're a Klingon and you're going to name your splinter faction, I might choose a name that doesn't have an SH sound in it, just personally. <laughs> These guys are starting to look a lot more wharfy, so maybe they can pronounce S's the way Worf can. Yeah, they can pronounce S's like Worf and not like Kevin. <laughs> A lot of these disco era Klingons are like half dowed, right? <laughs> There's a reason that my people aren't named the Dowsh. <laughs> it just sounds very shilly coming from me. That would be cruel. Lorel kind of goes into a weird trance when she's taken prisoner here. Like she's she's forced down to the ground and she's just hearing all of this shit talk happening around her. She never loses her cool. She just kind of like cocoons herself a little bit. Yeah. Like she never she's never in a panic. Maybe she's distracted by the Klingons all wearing Sorel boots. Oh yeah. I mean I, I guess that's appropriate if you're if you're going to an ice world like this. For years I used to shop. <laughs> At Eddie Bauer, but now I am an L.L. Bean man. (laughs) The catalog comes slightly more often and features a broader range of wide shoe sizes appropriate for my feet. When I was lobotomized, I forgot to transfer the addresses to all my old catalogs to my new address. (laughs) I just like the return policy better. (laughs) She is kind of flexing to these guys that she brought, you know, she's got this huge ship that's, it's not even in orbit. It's like in atmosphere. (laughs) And and she's like, yeah, like I've got, I've got that huge ship right there and it's full of loyal troops, loyal to me. And they're like, you idiot, we came on that ship. It's got to be so much more complex to bring a giant ship into a planet's atmosphere because you know that, like, parts of it are burning while other parts are cool, right? Yeah. What do you think that blade is made of? Is that is that all solid down there on the cleave ship? Sure looks that way. Yeah. You definitely don't want to get stationed in the blade section if you're uh, if you're just a crewman on that ship, right? You definitely want to take the cleave ship to a professional to get it sharpened every once in a while. Otherwise, it's just gonna it's not gonna be able to cut through those tomatoes at all. Yeah, when you're cutting onions, it'll it'll make you much more teary eyed. A dull cleave ship is a dangerous cleave ship, Ben. <laughs> I've always thought that. Any chef or Klingon will tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, we also catch up with Spock and Pike. And I was a little unclear about where their journey takes them because the the sense I had at the end of the last issue and the beginning of this is that they are walking away from the complex that the, uh, that the peace talks are taking place in and, like, finding yeah. the drive cone of a crashed ship to, to take refuge in. There's also just, like, a... A hard cut, like mid-page, uh, after Pike orders Spock to run back and look after Laurel and try and save her, where Spock is just back in the building where the where the conference was supposed to take place. Yeah, it seems like there's a a jump in geographical continuity, or maybe there was an edit to the story that, you know, maybe a couple of pages were removed or something. Uh, well, what I surmised was they. That's like the base of the building, and they just don't show... There's just not a drawing to show that there's a continuity there, but I don't know why all the walking around in the snow, if that's the case. I mean, I remember from physics class, like, you can you can graph out, like, the velocity, like, straight velocity and fall velocity, <laughs> and I don't think they got enough speed out the window to to project themselves that far away from the base to then result in a miles-long hike back in. Right. It's strange. It would seem as though they just fell. Like, if you were to fall out the second story of a home into the bushes below, you'd just walk back in the front door, right? Why Why the journey? Maybe the snow's coming down so thick that they got lost for a while. Maybe the atmosphere is such that, that they really did get a lot of distance out that window. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe the snow, the wind is blowing real hard. Spock is using an inner monologue to keep himself warm. It's something that uh, that Pike is unable to do. He sort of comes to as soon as Spock uh, rests him on the floor of the interior of this thing. And yeah. Pike is pretty out of his mind, but he's with it enough to order Spock 
to look after Laurel. Find her and make sure she's safe because uh, yeah. these negotiations depend on that. Pike is not interested in getting in touch with the Enterprise first. He uh, he thinks that finding and protecting Laurel is of higher priority. And I guess, I don't think they ever say this explicitly, but it, there does seem to be some problem with communicating with the Enterprise. Maybe that was addressed in the last book. I yeah. don't remember. There's one thing that these pages had me noticing about the costuming on Star Trek Discovery, which is Spock's garment is wrinkly and you can tell just by looking at it like it's there are wrinkles drawn into it Mm -hmm. but on the comic page just like in the show you never see this tunic wrinkle it looks very stiff yeah you're talking about uh you're talking about pikes yeah 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 despite having a a bloody face pike looks great (laughs) it's true it's nice to have i mean I think you would have a pretty strong argument against this, but I do like a wrinkle-free garment. If I can get one that actually feels like a natural fiber, it's so hard to find one that does both. Yeah, they tend to the the, the coatings that they put on tend to make them feel weird and clammy. Yeah, don't like uh, that. I mean, I I've just resigned myself to being a rumpled man, <laughs> but uh, but you know, occasionally I'll I'll have an iron shirt and catch a look at myself in the mirror and be like, oh. It's nice to be not rumpled sometimes. Yeah, and yeah, one of the one of the best rumples in the game. It's Ben <laughs> Benjamin R. Harrison. Mm-hmm. It's like stilt skin, Ben Harrison, <laughs> other rumpled people. There's still a bandit in this facility, which I think is smart, right? If you're part of the uh, the shadows of Kalish, uh, you probably do want to leave one behind. Just to clean up the mess that you've left. And this is a bandit that finds Spock. Yeah, well, they've. I think he's like on patrol because they've, decided, they've told Laurel that they're not going to kill her just yet. But I don't know if they've actually left the facility. If you're taking over a facility, you definitely want to do regular walks around the perimeter. I mean, this is just, this is classic bad guy stuff. Yeah, this guy uh, makes the error that uh, many bad guys in many movies have made, which is getting too close to the hero with the gun. Yeah. Because Spock does that combined karate chop gun snatch move and uh, and gets off the uh, gets off like a one-liner on the guy. And now he's basically Bruce Willising around this complex. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. <laughs> now I have a blaster rifle. Right. <laughs> Back with Laurel, uh, she's she's growing more and more incoherent. Uh, she appears to be doing that thing that, that people do just before death, like making peace with the people and the deities that they that they uh, value the most. She's like sort of praying to Takuma mm-hmm. here. Yeah, almost like in a fugue state. It seems it seems like she's really out of it. Yeah, yeah. It didn't seem like she got her ass kicked too bad by the shadows of Kronos before. But uh, maybe this is what you do when you're uh, when you're about to die and you're a Klingon, and it's not up to you. Yeah. So Spock comes in, in like he does the uh, he does the full stormtrooper where he puts on this guy's outfit and comes in. Yeah. And he's got the drop on everybody. He he wastes everybody in the entire room while Laurel kind of kneels there, staring out the window. And then when he takes off his hood, she's like, "Hey, great, thank you. I'm really glad you did that." <laughs> I remember you from that talk we had in the last issue. Not that much time can have possibly gone by because there are still active fires burning in this room. Yeah. Like, this has been brief enough that nobody even, like, went and got a fire extinguisher and put out the the blazes in the room that they're in. It appears as though the planet they've chosen to hold these diplomatic talks uh, does not have an OSHA-approved facility complete with carbon monoxide and, and fire detectors, right? Yeah. Uh. Maybe that's what's wrong with Laurel. Like, she's succumbing to carbon monoxide poisoning. Oh, yeah. Except for she she was the one that was kneeling, so she would be lower. She'd be inhaling less of it than the Klingons, right? That's than true. the other Klingons. Yeah. We should have been seeing the shadows of Kalis start to get wobbly here. Yeah. But instead, they're shot in the head. Maybe that's why it was so easy for Spock to get the drop on them. They were like they were like delirious. How about Spock 
distributing headshots here in the scene, like <laughs> not taking any prisoners. Yeah. Uh, not interested. No. They exchange some pleasantries. Uh, he uh, says that he regrets that he wasn't uh, able to identify her betrayers. And she's like, don't worry about it. I'm going to make sure that my betrayers get what's coming to them. And uh, he's like, oh, okay. Uh, (laughs) I don't know what you mean. She's like, I'll show you. And then she whips open the cleave ship app on her phone (laughs) and enables creep mode. Yeah. It is nuts. All she has to do is say a couple of magic words and she gets the drop on these betrayers on her cleave ship and they are powerless to stop what's happening. This is, uh, this is what Kirk did to, uh, the Reliant in, in Wrath of Khan, right? She punches in the, she punches in the secret code and then she's got control of the ship. It's great. This has got to be first thing on your list when you, when you commandeer a ship. Going forward... Alien or human, if you're commandeering a ship, you got to look into the computer system and see if there's any backdoors. you got to change all your passwords. Get yeah. that two-factor authentication going. I used to work for this uh, media company, and there was like, occasionally somebody would, you know, get another job and move on or be fired or whatever. And there were all the like social media accounts and the you know the back end of their website and all these things and there was like a process where somebody had to go in and change all the passwords and then distribute the new passwords to everybody you know like that's that's just standard practice i expected more from the shadows of kalish to be honest they didn't really think this thing through kind of a bullshit coup like here's what they did they had their eye on the whole, we're going to cut her head off and then throw it off of the beheading rail at Kronos. Like, their their eyes were on the, in, on the end prize mm-hmm. instead of on all the steps they needed to complete in order to get there. I wish they'd been like, we are going to throw you in the same pit you threw that baby. It is the baby pit. <laughs> yeah, that would have been fun. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, now, now she is running this ship toward the surface of the planet. Uh, she, she, uh, kind of taunts the, the leader of this, of this rebel movement in so doing. And Spock has Pike back at the facility looking out the window, not receiving any medical treatment. (laughs) He's fine. You know what's going to make him feel a lot better? A huge explosion as the cleave ship runs into a mountain. Nothing warms the bones quite like a huge explosion from a cleave ship. Yeah. How many people do you think died in this accident? No mention is made about the profound loss of life here, but, I mean, I'm going to guess thousands? Cleave ship's a big ship. When we saw the cleave ship in the, in the space battle against Control, it was like, way 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 bigger than any other klingon ship and those are comparable in size to human ships if not bigger right so presumably like this is tens of thousands of people do you think there was ever a chance of laurel uh activating this code and the cleave ship just cutting the planet in half (laughs) like oh that's i did not consider the power of the cleave ship yeah I should not have had that blade sharpened right before we left. (laughs) This was a a peace mission. (laughs) So cleave ship falls down and goes boom. We get uh, we get some Pike react, which is pretty fun. Yeah, Uh, Pike kind of his uh, his sort of detached, uh, semi sarcastic self as he watches this go down. And uh, th- like that, that final picture of the cleave ship exploding sort of makes it look like the stern of the ship is going to fall on the facility that they're all in. But yeah. I guess that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, that looks like a close call. But it gives you a sense of the scale, right? Yeah, it's fucking huge. Yeah. And uh, and then up in orbit, uh, Pike catching back up with uh, with number one and pink face, blue hair lady, always smiling. Um, yeah, she is, a, she is just a, a happy person. I don't know. I mean, what's so funny all the time? <laughs> Your inherent suspicion of the happy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be able to deal with that. <laughs> they kind of post-game what happened, and 
number one wants to talk more about the gawk eating contest than the crashed cleave ship and pike's many injuries which appear to be healed at this point yeah very uh very standard number one writing yeah right like that kind of like she's always leaving those little rhetorical booby traps in yeah. what she says do you think the gawk is alive when you shit it out <laughs> I bet I it know. is. This is the first first we've heard about the uh, the side effects of Gah, and uh, I would have loved to have just seen a little character arc with with Riker going through that like two episodes after the officer exchange program episode. It's got to be way harder to digest than corn, right? Corn isn't <laughs> isn't trying to claw back. <laughs> yeah. In a in a second, we have to turn to uh, The Greatest Generation and record an episode of that, and there's some, some Gach humor in that episode as well that uh, that implies that Gach is angry to be food. <laughs> Wouldn't you be? Yeah. No, I mean... I understand. I'm with the Gach on this one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in Six Bay, uh, our buddy Kor is, uh, is, is healing up after... Uh, getting, I guess, bonked on the head. It's sad to see a Klingon in a Federation hospital bed, right? It it just mm-hmm. looks it looks unbecoming. His loaf is all covered up. He isn't asking for uh, for Laurel to help him die with honor or anything. You know what he needs is is like uh, two urine jugs tied together, or uh, or like <laughs> double bedpans, right? <laughs> It's uh, it's the kidney shape, but they, it just goes off in two directions. Right. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, she is brimming with confidence in his loyalty, and her confidence also feels like it is a little threatening too, right? Like she assures him of how omniscient she is, like right. putting to rest any kind of idea that Kor may have about about what she thinks of him. Right. The, uh, when she says, I know the full extent of your loyalty and full extent is in bold. Yeah. It definitely doesn't make you think that she just means, I think you're really loyal. <laughs> She's not just talking about what she can see at the bottom of his gown. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. She knows the full extent of that as well. Right. <laughs> the button on the comic happens in, uh, in the Enterprise shuttle bay and it's Pike seeing Laurel off. They're both sort of amused at the circumstance. Like, can you believe it? A Klingon shuttle inside a Federation shuttle bay. And this is like, this is like the essential optimism of a Captain Pike. He's like, you know, you might have crashed your cleave ship onto a planet and uh, we might have been the victims of a terrorist attack during a diplomatic mission. But all in all, things are okay, right? And Laurel's like, look, man, uh, I don't think you'd ever be allowed to bring a shuttle on on board any one of my ships or over to Kronos. So why don't you uh, why don't you chill out with the optimism a little bit, and we'll just part <laughs> ways, uh, feeling a little bit neutral about the whole thing. I mean, Pike is making the case that just having had the meeting is a win. Like even though the meeting didn't, you know, resulted in the in the destruction of the Cleave ship and no actual diplomatic process uh, being yeah. commenced. Just having had it on the on the schedule was good. Pike's whole deal was like uh, it wasn't about whether or not we could achieve diplomacy. It was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> it's not the destination; it's yeah. the journey. Laurel's not even trying to hear this, though. She says uh, a a pretty perfunctory perfunctory peace out to Pike and then to Spock, thanking him for uh, saving her and everyone's asses. And then we get the we get that moment where Spock uh, shaves the beard and puts the uniform back on, which we saw at the end of uh, season two. Yeah, we never knew how busy this crew was before uh, the end of the season finale. Yeah, and we never knew what his internal monologue was in this scene. Yeah, now we get it. You think he was shaving with one of those Geordi LaForge blue cubes? I wish they had shown that. That would have been great. I know. I mean, they show TNG batleths in this series. Why not the TNG beard trimmer? Do you think the Gillette company kept on releasing version after version of that cube with even more cubes attached to it? (laughs) (laughs) The five-cubed cube by Gillette. The the economics of the future are somewhat different. We we merely seek to better our razors. Yeah. (laughs) 
I liked uh, I liked the end of the the book. I was I was surprised and pleased that they ended it there. Yeah, I am also satisfied with its end and shocked to maybe get a fourth book in this series. What's that about? Yeah. I don't know. We'll find out. Now you know I'm looking on uh, on the on the uh, Comicsology site and this says book three of three. So huh? Whatever I found that said that the like I found December seventeenth as the release date for book four, and uh, that appears to be entirely apocryphal. The more I look into this. Wow. All right. Well, now we know. Now we know. One more thing to do here as we end this issue of Star Trek Discovery Aftermath, Ben. I need to ask you a question, and that is, did you find yourself an Edward Larkin? Oh, man. Uh, That is a great question. Uh, I think I'm going with the Klingon that was running the betrayal from the bridge of the Cleave ship. Yeah. Uh, Just... Just for how Christopher Lloydy he is in the way he's drawn, and and uh, and how uh, most of the issue he just spends being horrified at his impending explosion. Like there is one, maybe two drawings where he is triumphant and thinks he's won, and then the rest of the time he's just shitting himself. <laughs> so uh, for that reason, he is my Edward Larkin. Yeah, that's a good pick. How about you, Adam? His face definitely jumps off the page. Uh, But so does mine, uh, except my Edward Larkin's face is in the process of being torn apart because his is the face being shot through and through by Spock. You're tearing me apart, Spock! Oh, hi, Laurel. You're my favorite customer. (laughs) One of my favorite portraits in this episode is the frame where Spock, hooded Spock, comes in and starts shooting in the head, everyone in the room, and you see a beam weapon go through the cheek, into the mouth, and out the other cheek. That doesn't seem like a kill shot. It seems like it would be extremely painful and fuck your your life up permanently, yeah. but it doesn't seem like it would kill you. If the uh, exit wound is going out the neck, which oh, it yeah. could be... Uh, I don't know. I, I don't like his chances, especially because... Yeah, that because, does seem uh, to be below the jawline, so maybe it maybe it hit his uh, his artery or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So that is who I am going to nominate as my Edward Larkin. Uh, that is a great Larkin, Adam. That guy That guy really has, like, has like slow-motion slack jaw in that, in that shot. It's really funny. You know what's fun about the Chikaos in this frame, too, are that his shakao has the space of his mouth in the middle and you can almost hear the shakao differently for him it's like like you can hear it you can hear it in his mouth yeah you can hear the gurgle in yeah. between yeah <laughs> but discovery is old news adam why don't we move on to the first issue of star trek colon picard dash countdown can't believe We are starting in on the Star Trek Picard story. Uh, This series is also written by Kirsten Bayer and Mike Johnson. Uh, Kirsten has has had control over all of the comic stories that we've read up until now. The title of this makes me think that it is a direct uh, prologue to the, the series that we're going to be seeing. Yeah, it's the countdown name that does that, right? Because we got a, a countdown series of comic books before the J.J. Abrams Star Trek. You remember those? I didn't. I, I don't. Okay. <laughs> I confess, I don't. Well, I'm don't telling you, them. I remember, and that's how they did it. I'm glad you. Uh, I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. I'm good for something around here. <laughs> so uh, I'm not good with my star dates here, but uh, we start on Earth in 2386. So uh, this seems to be maybe contemporaneous with the beginning of what we've seen in the trailers for Star Trek colon Picard. Right. And uh, this is uh, maybe a couple of Romulans. Uh, They are... uh, The reason I think that is that they seem to be... like they they treat Earth as a, an extremely alien environment in a way that I don't think a Vulcan 
of this era necessarily would. And they discuss about how unwelcome they are in this place, which is another hint to that, right? Right. And uh, and and so they are uh, they're standing in the vineyard at uh, Chateau Picard, uh, taking a look at these grapes and complimenting the the soil and dragging the fruit and uh, wondering where all the slaves are. Yeah. <laughs> and then we cut to Mars one year before. Yeah, this is a place we're familiar with from TNG. It's the Utopia Planitius Shipyards, right? Yeah. And, uh, and another character we are familiar with from TNG, Jordy LaForge, has uh, risen to the rank of uh, full three-pip commander and seems to be serving a function that Cisco kind of served before the events of Deep Space Nine as the, uh, as the commander of the shipyards, and he's in charge of rebuilding the Federation Starfleet. That's got to be such a cool job. At first, I saw Jordy as a commander, and I was like, fuck, man, he should be better than that at this point. Bullshit, man. But given his responsibilities, I quickly came around to, hell yeah, Jordy yeah. LaForge. I was wondering if we've ever seen a yellow with four pips. Does that ever happen? I think... Remember there was an admiral on Deep Space Nine that wore a gold tunic? And he was the only one ever to be in Star Trek. Right. There is some discontinuity between the pips and the colors occasionally. Yeah. Like, it seems like Captain is both a rank and a, and a job, you know? And a lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. I know that, like, in the Navy sometimes you could be, like, a the rank of commander but the captain of a ship. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know. I think I think they could have thrown another pip on Jordy. Why not? Uh, one of the worst things I ever heard uh, while working my office drone job was, you know, when you work in an office, you're subject to the yearly review, and yeah. those reviews are conducted by, you know, a managerial authority. And I, I occasionally rub shoulders with those managers because I worked in an HR department and I got to hear those conversations. But like one of the one of the governing philosophies to the yearly review as they were implemented in this company was that you always want to give the employee a ceiling to reach for, mm -hmm. which meant often not promoting them when they should be or not giving them a raise that was the maximum year after year because you wanted to give them room to grow. And I just thought that was the shittiest parental philosophy like for, for management ever. Like I, my eyes couldn't roll harder than once <laughs> than when I was hip to that. Like it's such shit. Let's just all agree that MBAs on the whole have been bad for humanity. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it really made me sad. Anyway, it, it relates to Jordy's thing here because I hope he's not being held back by some artificial idea of where his career should be related to his ambitions. Jordy is looking young here, and, uh, and that made me uh, curious enough to open the Wikipedia page about Star Trek Colin Picard, and uh, there's a little addendum down at the bottom about tie-in media, and it says that this is set in 2285, two years before the destruction of Romulus and 15 years before the TV series. Hmm. So uh, that, is, that does not agree with the date at the beginning of the issue, but maybe, maybe there's a typo in one place or the other. But if, the, I mean, this Jordy does read as 15 years ago, LeVar Burton to me. Sure does, yeah. Yeah, he looks so, great. That's not yeah. to say that today's LeVar Burton uh, doesn't look great also, but, yeah. but we're talking about passage of time here. But he's got a little more salt and pepper in his uh, temples, you know? Fair. Yeah, so LaForge uh, gets a FaceTime from Picard, and uh, it is a nice reveal. And they seem very happy to be talking to each other. Uh, big buds. And uh, Picard is aboard uh, a ship called the Verity. And uh, and he is out in the uh, in the Romulan part of the Alpha Quadrant, uh, over overseeing the evacuation of the uh, of the inner worlds of the Romulan Empire because the uh, the star that Romulus orbits 
is going to go supernova. And, uh, and that's kind of an, it's a ticking time bomb, but nobody quite knows how much time they have. The Verity is a fucking whale of a ship, Ben. And its registry number is 97,000. <laughs> yeah, it kind of looks like the Enterprise E fucked the Voyager and they had like a really big baby. <laughs> like they, like I'm going to use film terminology here, but they cut to behind Picard as he's looking at the view screen. View screen looks like it's 100 yards away. Like yeah. <laughs> everything is elongated. Yeah. Well, it also like the way the sh- the chairs look make- makes me think that they drew this to look like it's being shot on an extremely wide lens. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh and and that would also like I like that. uh greatly uh, exaggerate how far away the the view screen looks to our eyes, but uh yeah. but yeah, it, it I think it looks super extreme especially because when you cut back to Jordy in his office, he's like sitting on the edge of his desk yeah. about 10 feet away from a an 85-inch flat panel TV with, <laughs> with Picard's face on it. So, uh, yeah. These uh, these uniforms are real wild, too. Yeah. Yeah, I think I like them. A really jazzed-up version of the, uh, the TNG-era uniform. They're talking about Geordi's progress in building all of these ships. They need a lot of ships to help with the relocation of these Romulans relocation by the hundreds of thousands or even, I don't know, the millions. It is a big, big job. Maybe billions, right? Cause I mean, the Romulan homeworld's got to be a popular place to live. You've got all of the people that live on Remus. Yeah. That we met in, uh, in, uh, Nemesis, which is, uh, referenced in this comic book. This entire issue is about deadlines and Picard constantly, refers to these deadlines as a thing that he's struggling against. And he's asking Jordy, you're going to be done on time, man. We need those ships. It also really spends a lot of time in the captain's log, or in the admiral's log, I should say. Yeah. Uh, because uh, it is, it's a lot of exposition. It's a lot of uh, table setting. And uh, uh, he has been ordered away from the Romulan homeworld and toward a... a a planet called Yuyat Beta, and uh, he doesn't want to go there because he believes that Yuyat Beta is not a populated planet. And uh, he's got a, a first officer who, uh, who disabuses him of that pretty quickly. I think the galaxy made their decision in the Yuyat Beta versus Yuyat VHS wars. <laughs> I think we know who won. Ben, I don't want to skip too far past something that you mentioned which is the Admiral's Log doing a lot of the expositional lifting for this comic. It makes me wonder if a Kirsten Bayer and a Star Trek Discovery slash Picard writer's room are aware of and reluctant to use that as an instrument for storytelling because it is such, it's such a cheat in a way that, that many writers and creators, I feel like, would be reluctant to use. Like, you hear all the time about showing and not telling and how one should always attempt to show instead of tell. But Star Trek seems to have this DNA of telling that is, that is so tightly woven into itself that that's got to be right. really difficult, right? I don't know. Like, I, I'm really curious with this, this comic book series in particular how much it is going to tie into the story in the show because this is the first story they've released to do with this show and uh and it it really feels like the opening crawl in a Star Wars thing almost like yeah. how much it is just give, giving us a bunch of context about what's going on this is going to be the most difficult lift too because this is the series that's going to be the most comparable to a TNG directly you know yeah. the 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 fan culture that rejected star trek discovery for not being my star trek i feel like is going to be even more sensitive to a series like this that actually has the same characters in it right i've definitely got mixed feelings about how much the trailer seems to be about continuing the story of nemesis which you know i and a lot of people think is one of the less good movies in the Star Trek uh, canon. What a challenge, though. Like, could we retroactively make that movie better? 
is a hell of a goal. So Picard is working with uh, Lieutenant Commander Raffi Musiker, and she is the uh, she is like one of the foremost experts on the Romulans in the Federation. She knows she knows all about these people. And we recognize her from that Picard trailer too. Oh, has she been in the? Was she in the trailer? Yeah, she's the one that draws a gun on Picard, and then they sit down in another scene and and have some of the wine that he brought. Oh shit, Doug. Yeah. Cool. We spend a lot of time going over and over and over what a paranoid and suspicious people the the Romulans are, and how they, you know, they won't they won't tell us anything. Like it's always a game of chess. They are always obscuring things, always occluding the truth. I mean, this this all really feels like Picard is being set up, like from the moment they start talking about doing something on behalf of the Romulans. Yeah. Never a straight hallway with the Romulans. <laughs> yeah. As the saying goes. It's like a duck vagina. <laughs> right. It's like a it's like a pig's dick. Oh, they all want to mate with me with their corkscrew penises. Picard gets a FaceTime from a guy named Athus. An invitation from Athus to beam on down to Yuyat Beta. And this is an invitation that uh, Picard and Musiker accept. They beam down into their, into what looks like a giant cathedral-like space and are greeted by a bunch of armed guards. Yuya really sounds like uh, like a uh, neologism like YOLO. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like uh, you usually yell at trucks. <laughs> yeah, that's what that means. It- you usually yell at titties. Oh, even better. That, that's what all the Generation Zs are talking about, right? Nice self-punch-up. Yeah. You you yet. Okay, boomer. <laughs> and <laughs> these, uh, these armed guards escort Picard and Musiker to, uh, to what kind of looks like a Genesis planet Genesis. exterior. Yeah, very lush and beautiful, pink sky with birds flying in it. You know, very beautiful uh, terrace that they're hanging out on. And the Romulans are like, this is pretty nuts, right? Like, we're just letting you see how we live down here. Like, we're pretty cool, right? As Romulans, like, you don't expect this from people like us. It's It should be so threatening. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and we meet, Yuyat is just the major domus of, uh, of the governor of this planet. Uh, but we meet her. She is a wood elf mm-hmm. uh, named Governor Shiana, and uh, she shows up in her uh, her green and yellow garb uh, with the uh, long blonde legolas hair of all wood elves. Were you like me in this scene with like just a low key fear of a blonde Romulan going on? <laughs> like I thought I was I was totally getting Rom Yarlin vibes from her. Like she can't be trusted, can she? Fear of a Blonde Romulan is one of my favorite Public Enemy albums. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> she greets Picard as a hero of the Federation and vanquisher of the traitor Shinzon. So another big uh, nemesis reference here. And, uh, and he is very embarrassed about that comparison. I mean, that guy looked exactly like me, but he wasn't me, babe. He wasn't me. Yeah, I merely adopted the darkness. He was born in it. Uh-huh. So he is, uh, you know, at great pains to explain that he's just here, a, an octopip admiral to evacuate the 10,000 people that he's been led to believe live on this planet. Should be an easy lift, right? Just 10,000 mm-hmm. people, done and done. The Verity is by far big enough to beam 10,000 people up. <laughs> the Verity is a... a BBS, a, a big, beautiful starship. <laughs> the Verity's got uh, plenty of trunk for all of this Romulan junk. and uh... <laughs> Picard uh, is only momentarily distracted by this blonde Romulan before he turns his attention to the vineyards in the distance, and he is super psyched to go visit them because it looks like they're growing a type of wine grape there. Yeah, he's... Uh... He's uh, extremely excited about that. He almost like loses his ca- capacity for speech. Like mm-hmm. he he runs out and starts like taking a look at the fruit, and 
He's trying to explain, like, my family something something, and then he notices the slaves that the Romulans have working the vineyards. They're Groot slaves, Ben. Yeah, they are Groot. Their names are Ikal and Ijav, these uh, these two guys that uh, that he sees, and uh, the Major Domus is explaining that, uh, yeah, this is the, this is the local uh, species, and... Uh, yeah. And uh, you know when the when the star goes supernova, uh, they will probably be burned to a crisp. But maybe they won't, and maybe we'll be able to come back and uh, and and hang out here again and uh, continue enslaving them. The slavery has been normalized to such a degree that he's just very casual about the idea of this uh, of this genocide. This is such a fun TNG style premise, right? Yeah, like yeah. We, you're rescuing us, not our slaves. And Picard has an, a quintessential Picard reaction to that. Like, no, we're rescuing the intelligent species here. Like, my orders are very specifically not about rescuing Romulans, but rescuing all of the, like, higher forms of evolution on every planet that we're evacuating. How many of these people are are there here? And they're like, oh, they're like probably five million, but they all live in the forest and they, you know, they're primitives. Picard is totally incredulous. He's like, the dumps on my trunk are not big enough. (laughs) You think I got enough suspension to hold up five million of these Groots? You're nuts. Yeah, he does not have enough big, beautiful starship for all these Groots. It's a big problem. Sure is. He demands to be taken back to to the governor to complain. And, uh... And she's gone from like being friendly, friendly looking to to like you know lounging on a chaise longue and drinking wine and looking sinister as fuck. Right. Uh, her affect is so different in this next scene. Yeah, you know, I was hearing Damon Lindelof talk about the new Watchmen show in an interview, and there's mm-hmm. a couple of things that happen in that show that feels like this scene, which is like he really relishes the moment where a bad guy has been caught doing a bad thing and does not seek to cover it up any longer, but is instead, yeah, it me. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> and that happens a couple of times in the Watchmen show on HBO, and it seemed, and it's happening here in this scene too. Blonde Romulan's like, yeah. What are you going to do about it? Not my problem. <laughs> it gives very like contemporary presidential administration vibes. Like, yeah, we're putting them in cages. Who cares? It does not end well. It ends with Picard and Musiker being detained and the threat of their big, beautiful starship just being taken and used by the Romulans there for right. their purposes. And uh, the button on the issue is Picard uh, in some kind of jail cell doing something that's very familiar to me, which is the the self-recrimination, the beating himself up over being such an idiot. Yeah. And uh, that's also a really familiar Picard feeling, right? Like the really like wanting to see the best in everyone and believing in the inherent virtue of all intelligent life and uh, having had that blind him to the deviousness around him. While also never believing himself to be a savior in any way. I mean, there are many episodes of TNG where Picard himself is seen as a god by some people, and he's always rejected uh, that kind of treatment. Yeah. So, did you like this comic book, Ben? It's a, it, it feels like a lot of table setting, but I really did like it. I like the... I like the way it um, it's setting this up, and and knowing now that it's theoretically meant to be fifteen years before the episode of the show makes it make a little bit more sense. Because I was like, is this was he an admiral as of one year before, like being grape dad that needs to like go like get back into Starfleet and go on an adventure? Like that was that was really. Uh, tripping me up reading it the first time, but uh, if it's 15 years before that, then uh, it makes a lot more sense to me. Yeah. You know, in our hit show, Friendly Fire, I think we talk a lot about how important it is for a movie that's in a series to also be able to stand on its own. And I think that kind of judgment 
is something that I think we should level against a comic book in a series. But at the same time, I feel like this one succeeds in a lot of areas. I think the thing that elevates it up above the table setting pejorative is Picard himself, you know? And I think when you include that character in a work, I think <laughs> I think he's just too great to be denied. And this could be a story about a guy laboring in his own vineyards. And I think I would be, be just as satisfied with it. And I think that makes it hard to judge a work that, that includes that character. Does Picard, like, are the ethical dilemmas popping up around Picard or does he go and find them? <laughs> you know? Oh, like he could be uh, one of those girls that's attracted to drama. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I... You know what? I'm I'm thinking about what we saw in the Picard trailer, and I can't help but believe that we know this mission to be a failure because we don't see any Groot in that trailer. Hmm. And maybe that's that's what's fucked him up. That's how he that's how he's out of Starfleet. He tried to save the Groots. Yeah. He was unable to. He throws his hands up. He gets he gets the Verity taken from him. Not a good look. Even without trying to predict what the the show will be about, this really made me think about how much time 20 years means and how much backstory we will never get on what happened between the events of TNG and this new series. Well, I hope it means there's going to be a lot more comic content for us to read because, I mean, there's a lot of space to fill. And if it is, uh, if it's anything like the comics we've been reading lately, I think uh, it's ably done. Yeah, I'm pumped about it. But I have a question for you, Adam. Oh, what's that, Ben? In this first issue of the Star Trek Picard comic book, did you find yourself an Edward Larkin? Yeah, for the first time in a long time, I'm going to give it to Admiral Picard. I just don't wow. think you can get your pants pulled down like this. Uh, he's been in the game a long time. You know, he uh, he beams down himself. You know, this is a thing that he's always struggled against this mm-hmm. rule about uh, flag officers going on away teams. Uh, not a surprise that he goes down there with his lieutenant commander. But, I mean, come on. If you, if you say in your inner, mo- inner monologue how little the Romulans can be trusted... I think you got to bring a dustbuster, at least, <laughs> and he does not. So, uh, yeah. Admiral Picard is my Edward Larkin. How about you? My Edward Larkin is a is a, probably a minor Edward Larkin in the scheme of things. But uh, in that shot we talked about, where it's the super wide shot of the bridge of the Verity, mm-hmm. uh, there are a bunch of uh, crew members standing around. A couple of them working at stations. A couple of them walking or having a conversation with each other, a couple looking at the view screen. Uh, but off to the right, there's one that is very, very emphatically not looking at the view screen. Uh, I think it's an Andorian lady, mm-hmm. and she is just standing, not doing anything, with her back turned to Jordy LaForge. <laughs> uh, I just thought that that was a funny place to be standing and nothing, you know, and, and not doing anything, so that reason she is my edward larkin i'm just gonna be right here i'm gonna i'm not gonna look at that bozo i don't i, I don't know maybe take the facetime in private jordy what do you think <laughs> yeah she's also uh there's also a a blue uh you know science science division and dorian working for jordy she's the one that comes in and says that uh that he's got a call coming in from picard so Maybe she's like, ugh, my twin sister works for this idiot. It's sort of like the, uh, you know, when you when you put someone on speaker, like if mm-hmm. you're in a car or something. Yeah, it can be a little bit embarrassing to be sort of unannounced. It's considerate to always say that, uh, hey, you're on speaker, and so-and-so is also in the car. Like, when we right. cut back to Picard, Picard doesn't know that that lady's in the room. Fair. He could be saying some embarrassing shit. <laughs> Would you mind staying tonight until my other guests have gone? I- How much time transpired in between Nemesis and this for Picard to now be an Octopip Admiral? There is an answer. I, I'm positive it's out there. We just don't know what it is. Like, like all of this has been resolved. We're, it's our policy of not doing research that, 
that's crippling mm-hmm. us right now with yeah. questions like that. Because he's a captain still in Nemesis. He hasn't he hasn't gotten upgraded or anything in that movie. Yeah. They uh, they refer to the Enterprise in this comic having another captain. Yeah. And uh, last time we saw the Enterprise, she was pretty fucked up in the saucer, <laughs> having crashed itself into the scimitar, right? That was pretty epic. I mean, uh, that's that's probably a salvage title starship right yeah. there once you patch the Enterprise back together. Like, you got to believe that... Uh, where at one point a captain would be excited to be the captain of the Enterprise, I think salvage title Enterprise uh, probably isn't yeah. as cool. That's probably why Picard's on the Verity, right? This ship has a lot of history, but frankly, she's never run right since. The- <laughs> <laughs> it says uh, it says on the ship's registry that uh, that the Enterprise has sustained flood damage. Hey, what? did you get a Carfax before you uh, got the commission on this ship, or? It was kind of bought and sold many times after that incident with the scimitar. Yeah, what what you want is uh, is a, a clear chain of custody. You know, you want to know who owned it last and what they did with it. Kind of shows a little bit of evidence of a uh, odometer rollback on the warp core. Didn't want that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they flew it around in reverse for a long time. <laughs> uh, ben, we have evidence of priority one messages. You want to go see what those are? Oh, yeah, let's check them out. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Adam, we have one priority one message here. It is from T-Rex, and it's for everyone. So maybe we only need one if it's for everyone. I don't know how T-Rex is going to use a keyboard with those short arms. Yeah. Well, here's, here's the message. Earth has survived five mass extinction events. Extinction isn't only possible, it's inevitable. The species at the top die out, and the meek inherit the Earth. After each extinction, evolution progresses in leaps and bounds. We may not be the species to come out on top or even survive the next extinction, but at least we can try to set a good example. Shit. What? (laughs) I'm engulfed in ennui after reading the uh, P1 from T-Rex. I was thinking this would be a message by, you know, one of those inflatable T-Rex costume people (laughs) with something silly and fun to say, but now... This is T-Rex spelled W-R-E-X. Oh, yeah. Wrecking your mood is basically what this T-Rex is all about. Yeah, well, I don't prescribe to that end of the world gospel, so... I, uh, no, you're not an eschatologist. I'm I'm trying to make a better future for all of us in what meager way I can. Yeah, well, uh, actually, this episode will come out on Giving Tuesday, and uh, I have some exciting uh, greatest gen related giving announcements to make. All right, lay it on us. Over the course of our fall tour for Greatest Gen, we raised twenty six hundred bucks for Amazon Watch the uh, great charity that is supporting indigenous folks that live in the Amazon in their uh, quest to preserve their uh, their homelands from logging and mining and stuff. And uh, we also are going to be donating $1,000 worth of Lego kits to the Children's Hospital in Los Angeles. Hey, that's great. So, uh, so some, big, uh, some big gifts from the Friends of DeSoto. Uh, to some really great causes and uh, I have two giant boxes full of like dozens and dozens of Lego kits uh, sitting in my office right now that I need to drive down to Children's Hospital um, but uh, but yeah like none of that would have been able to happen without the uh, kind kindness and generosity of the folks that came out to our live shows and uh, who support us on a monthly basis uh, at Maximum Fun and so uh, you know I think uh, in the way of setting a good example, the Friends of DeSoto have done that. Yeah, sure have. That makes me feel great. Yeah. It makes me feel a little better than, than T-Rex's message. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, this is something uh, we're really, uh, we really feel privileged to be able to do. And, uh, and we uh, appreciate everyone who uh, bought a challenge coin or supported us uh, with a P1 on tour. Uh, we are going to. We have one announced tour show left at uh, at uh, San Francisco Sketchfest. Uh, we're going to be doing Greatest Gen Con two uh, 
uh, live on stage at Cobb's Comedy Club on January 17th. So, uh, and, and I think some folks from Amazon Watch will be at the show. So uh, hopefully uh, we'll be able to, uh, you know, introduce interested people to them and, uh, you know, people can find out how they can help. They are going to be horrified about <laughs> where this money is coming from. Yeah, yeah, indeed. But... Uh, if you would like to send a P1 message to The Greatest Discovery, you head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 bucks for a commercial message. And we really appreciate it. Helps us make this show possible. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I got to tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from, what am I going to have for dinner, to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Boy, we kind of reversed the order of the Edward Larkin and the P1s, didn't we? Yeah, but we had all the, I mean, we had two different issues to, to read. So yeah. I think we did it the right way. I think we did it the only way we could have. And uh, the only way we can possibly end an episode is to throw it to Rob's, right? Is is next episode definitely about uh, short treks? Yeah, so let's set the table for what's going to happen for the next few episodes of Greatest Discovery. Uh, the next episode coming out on the 17th is going to be a short treks episode, uh, followed by an episode having to do with the next in the series of Star Trek Picard comics. That's on the 31st. 
And then on the 14th, we are back to the final Short Treks episode of The Greatest Discovery. Uh, that's just before the episode on January 28th, which will be about Star Trek Picard Episode 1. The premiere of Star Trek Picard, of course, is on January 23rd. So we've aligned our episodes uh, to come out the week after these premiere dates. And hopefully we've done our homework a little bit better on when stuff is coming out. Yeah. <laughs> this time. Uh, Plenty to do. Yeah. That's what that's what's great, right? We're uh, we're rich with things to discuss in the new Star Trek universe. Yeah. We sure are. Uh, we feel very fortunate. So uh, yeah, let's throw it to Robs. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast, hosted by Benjamin Harrison and Adam Pranica. It's produced by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by friend of DeSoto and YouTube sensation Adam Ragusia. The Greatest Discovery is made possible by the support of our listeners like you. Make sure the show continues by going to MaximumFun.org donate. If you'd like to discuss the show online, please use the hashtag GreatestDiscovery. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR, Adam is at CutForTime, and I'm at Rob K. Schulte. Thanks, we'll see you on the next episode of The Greatest Discovery. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.